by the way, did you know that today is Grandparents' Day? So if you're a grandparent, we thank God for you and uh, that God would continue to give you strength. And, you know, some of you here, you're, you know, you, you're real busy, busy with the grandkids, right? And so um, just may God bless you and may you just have a wonderful day today. Amen? <clears throat> so uh, today we're, we're, is a special day. We're celebrating 29 years of ministry here at Cry Out. Yeah? And uh, it has been a, a wonderful journey. We're praying for many more years of ministry, of life-changing, vital ministry. Yeah? And um, so really excited about what God has done in the last 29 years and praying for many more years of ministry. Uh, couldn't do it without, first and foremost, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the reason why we're here. And for our wonderful staff, you guys, if you don't know by now, you have the most amazing staff, right? Okay. I, I could not do what I do without the wonderful staff here at Cry Out, and they have blessed my heart, and I thank God for them every day, and you should as well, yeah? Because everything that happens around here in the ins and outs is... You know, our staff works very hard, and also we have wonderful, wonderful people who serve here as well, so praise God for that. So, happy anniversary, cry out. Yeah? Come on. All right. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word. Yeah? All right, so let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to come together and the freedom to come and to worship. And Father, Lord, we just thank you and we glorify you and we just know that we couldn't do what we do without you, that you have blessed and sustained and have carried us for the last 29 years. And Lord, we're so grateful for that, that we can stand and say with confidence that you have blessed us with 29 years of ministry and we have seen lives that have been changed, lives transformed. Marriages, Lord, reconciled. And Lord, we've just seen so many things, wonderful things in the midst of your ministry here at Cry Out. And we thank you for that, Lord. So we celebrate you. And Lord, I decrease that you would, I decrease that you would increase. And I am to myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Chapter 16, we're now in part 30 of our series, Undivided. Well, this is it. This is it. This is uh, the last part of the series. We're going to wrap up the series today on our anniversary Sunday. Again, First Corinthians chapter 16. But before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. And in, in, in the last section of that chapter, we finished out Paul's words regarding the resurrection, and Paul focuses on the resurrected body of believers. And I gave you three points. You might remember them, but I want to refresh your memory here today. Three points. The first point was the pattern of the resurrection. Say that. The pattern of the resurrection. In verses 35 through 41, Paul illustrates the difference between the earthly and the heavenly bodies. And the second point was the perfection of the resurrection. Say that, come on. The perfection of the resurrection in verses 42 through 49, 
But Paul does, Paul describes the new body as better and superior to the old body. And what he does, and I love this, he contrasts what our two types of bodies are like. And there in the Scripture, he says, the body that is sown, in other words, the body that is buried, is perishable. Then he says this, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Someone say amen. The third point was the promise, say that, the promise of the resurrection, and that's in verses 50 through 58. So this now brings us to today's text. And the title of my message today is Paul's Final Words. Everyone say that. And here we have, we have, his final words to the Corinthian church. Now, I want to give you four points from today's text. If you're ready, say yes. Follow me now. Point number one is Paul's collection. Say that. Paul's collection. Write that down. Paul's collection. And we're going to look at verse one. And Paul writes this now about the collection for whose people? God's people. I want to stop there because Paul, notice Paul goes from the resurrection to now a collection. Got it? And he begins with words that begin a new subject as he's replying to, replying to something that the Corinthian believers were asking about. And so he says, now about the collection for God's people, he says this, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And you'll see that reference. That reference is in Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Write that down, Galatians chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. And you see, Paul was in the process of taking up a collection to help out the poor people in the church in Jerusalem. And some of them lost their jobs, lost uh, their, their homes, their land, and, and they were in great need. And to add to that suffering, or this suffering, should I say, terrible famine had come upon the land. And this is... This is, uh, I, believe, this is the, I believe this is to be the famine that was prophesied by the prophet Agabus, Agabus in, chapter, in Acts chapter 11, verse 28, Acts 11, verse 28. Now what Paul does, listen now, what Paul does here is he gives wonderful principles, say principles, come on, on giving. And these principles on giving were not confined just to the Corinthian church. They were also meant to be applied to the church at Galatia, and, and they can also be applied to the churches today. That's us. Got it? And these principles apply to special offerings as well as our regular giving. Now, I want to point out something here. This collection that Paul is taking up here for the poor was above their regular giving. If you got it, say you got it. So Paul gives some principles on giving. Now, I want you to first notice the priority. The priority. Verse 2. On the first day of every week, and I want to stop there, say that on the first day, come on church, on the first day of every week, that's the priority. See, they're giving this to be systematic, not haphazard, okay, not haphazard, to be systematic. Now notice, not on the seventh day of every week, but on the what? Come on, first day of every week. The first day is Sunday, the seventh day is Saturday. Now, now listen, you got to get this. The Sabbath day, the seventh day, never changed. Are you guys with me? It's never changed. It's Saturday. It's always been Saturday. It's the Jewish Sabbath called the Shabbat. Say Shabbat. So it's never changed. The Christians didn't change the Sabbath. 
So why did the early church meet on Sunday, the first day of the week, instead of Saturday, the seventh day of the week? Two reasons. Reason number one is because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, the first day of the week, and they call it the Lord's Day. Say the Lord's Day. The second reason is because Pentecost, the birth of the church, happened on Sunday, the first day of the week. If you got it, say got it. Write this down, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Acts 20, verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, got it? We came together to what? Break bread. On the first day of the week, Sunday, we came together to break bread. Now, there are those who say you should gather for worship on the Sabbath, Saturday, the the Shabbat. Now, I'm sure they have good intentions. I'm sure about that. They have good intentions. But they need to know that never in the New Testament does it require for Christians to keep a Saturday Sabbath. Are you guys with me? There is no New Testament directive, no New Testament command for Christians to keep the Saturday Sabbath. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we're not under the law. And by the way, every single commandment from the Ten Commandments is repeated in the New Testament except the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Why, friends? Because it's the only non-moral commandment. Also, the Sabbath was assigned under the covenant of Moses, under the Old Covenant, not the New Covenant. And Paul never, say never, cautioned, never cautioned the Christians against breaking the Sabbath. Listen, the seventh day commemorates a finished creation. The first day commemorates a finished redemption. I'm going to say that again. The seventh day commemorates a finished creation. The first day commemorates a finished redemption. And by the way, let me say this, okay? We're not justified by what day you and I worship. We're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Got it? So that's the priority Paul lays out on the first day of every week. Now notice the participants. Notice the participants. Each one of you. Did you get that? Now now you got to get this. Paul doesn't seek collections or solicit money from outside of the church. Why, friends? Because this is the responsibility of the believers. Every single believer is involved here. In fact, let me say this, every Christian should be a giver because God is a giver. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? For God so loved the world that he what? Come on, for God so loved the world that he what? Gave his one and only begotten son. He's a giver. He gave his son. He gives us salvation. He gives us life. He gives us peace. He gives us joy, right? God is a giver. And If we call ourselves believers and followers of God, of Christ, then we ought to be givers as well. So we all need to participate, right, in giving. Now notice the planning. We saw the priority. We saw the participants, excuse me, participants. Now notice the planning. Should Should set aside a sum of money. Should set aside a sum of money. Now, to set something aside implies what? Planning. Would you agree? So giving should be something that you've taken the time ahead of time to think about what you're doing, to think about what you're going to give. Giving. 
And giving shouldn't be done haphazardly, but thoughtful and regular planning. So, so in practice, listen now, so in practice, this means as you budget, as you budget to pay your bills and other needs, you should budget to give to God's work. Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 9-7, write that down. 2 Corinthians 9-7 wrote this, he wrote this. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. That's, that's budgeting, that's planning. Did you get that? You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in, res- in response to pressure. That's, that's important, right? Don't give in response to pressure. For God loves what? A cheerful what? A cheerful giver. Now, I got to say this. There will be times when we need to respond to a need at the very moment. But, but generally giving, giving is something that you don't do out of pressure because the preacher, listen now, is twisting your arm or making you feel guilty. But you give because you've thought, you've thought it out, you prayed over it ahead of time. So, so question, listen now, church, how careful are you about planning in this area? And what I'm saying is this, do you budget, listen now, do you budget to give to God's work here at Cry Out? Do you budget, do you plan ahead of time to say, no, this is for God's work and God's work only? How careful are you about planning in this area? We plan about other things in life. Why can't we plan about budgeting to give to God's work? Right? To God's work. Notice, notice the proportion. Notice the proportion. He says, in keeping with his income. Your Bibles might render it as, as one may prosper. He says, in keeping proportion, here we go, in keeping with his income as one may prosper. Now, it's interesting that Paul, who spoke freely on this topic in the New Testament, never mentioned tithing. Paul never mentions 10%. And no specific amount of percentage is demanded in this offering. Instead, Paul says, each person is to give as she or he or she may what? Prosper. Now, I happen to think, this is me, that 10% is a good place to begin when it comes to giving. Good place to start when it comes to giving. However, the emphasis, listen now, friends, the emphasis in the New Testament is on attitude, not amount. We are to give willingly, we are to give cheerfully, and we are to give out of gratitude for what God has done for us rather than give out of a sense of obligation. He wants you and I to give out of a heart, our heart. And by the way, let me say this. If you study the New Testament concept of giving, you'll discover that it's based on a much more generous giving than just a tithe. And here Paul says that you should give proportionally. Give in accordance to your income. In proportion, listen now, to how God has blessed you. You see, no matter how much you decide to give, the idea here is that, you, that the more money you make, listen now, the more you can give. The more that you prosper, the more that you prosper, the more you give. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, friends, you are not, if you're saved, you're not expected to do what you can't do. You're only expected to do what you can do. Did you get that? You're not expected to do what you can't do. You're only expected to do what you 
can do. This is why I have a big issue and a problem with preachers and evangelists who say, even if you don't have the money in your account, just write out a check by faith. I have an issue with that because that's not biblical. You have nothing in your account, so give by faith. That's not biblical. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, I'll prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 8, 12, Paul writes, For if the willingness, say willingness, come on, say willingness, is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Do you get that? Let's read on. If you're still with me, say amen. Come on. Saving it up. It literally says keeping or keeps, you keep putting aside and saving. So saving it up or keep putting aside and saving so that when Paul says, I come, no collections will have to be made. Listen, Paul had a plan. Say, Paul had a plan. And there was a reason for the plan. And the plan, friends, was that money be laid aside each week. And the reason for the plan was so that a special collection wouldn't need to be taken when Paul arrived. And you see, Paul, I love this, Paul didn't want giving to be provoked by an emotional appeal when he arrived. He wanted giving, and I love this, he wanted giving to be in the flow of faithful week-by-week giving. Amen? Now, I love what Paul, I love what he does here. And I love, this is what I love about Paul, that he was a man of integrity and he was a man of accountability. And what he does is he puts in place a system, say system, a system of accountability in the handling of the money, of the offering. So let's look at verses three, three and four. Then when I arrive, Paul says, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve. Did you get that? To the men you approve and send them with your, what? Gift to Jerusalem. Verse four, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. You see, Paul doesn't pocket the money. He doesn't. He was a man of integrity and accountability. He did not pocket the money. In fact, he doesn't even handle it. Instead, in order to have financial integrity and accountability, Paul has the Corinthian church choose responsible, trustworthy men within the church to take the offering to Jerusalem. And he made sure the money was in the hands of reputable reputable people, that it was delivered by responsible, trustworthy people, that there would be no question, say no question, that this was done properly with integrity and accountability. Can I get an amen? That being said, I can say with confidence that the money given here at Cry Out is being used in a proper and appropriate way. And there's no question that the handling of money is done properly with integrity and accountability here at Cry Out. Now, since we're on the subject of finances and giving, this past year, COVID-19, uh, our finances drastically dropped. It was, I would say, I'm just going to say it was our worst year ever ministry of financial, in financial giving. Uh, it was not good. I understand people lost their jobs. Because they lost their jobs, they couldn't give. A few people moved away. Be, I'll be straight up honest. There are just some people who just weren't giving. And um, so it was not a good year. And so we just started our new fiscal year in July. 
And uh, the giving for that month, for July, was, was not that good. But uh, I'm glad to say that the giving in August was amazing. It was great. And, and we had a, a few big offerings, and I thank those who gave. Thank you so much. Praise God for your generous heart. But, I mean, August was amazing. Uh, this past Sunday, uh, we were short of meeting our weekly budget. Um, so, with that being said, currently, right now, uh, we are, thank God, we are $10,000 above budget right now. And we are now $10,000 in the black. So um, praise God for that. Even though giving has not been consistent, we are above budget right now. No, so, so here's a lesson. Are you guys ready? <laughs> Give what you can. Give what you can. Give what's in your heart to give. Okay, I'm not going to force you or make you feel guilty to give. That's not what I'm here for. And uh, to be honest, I, I don't want to worry about finances. I don't want that to be in the back of my mind. But give what you can give. Give what's in your heart to give. And if you give, give, listen now, systematically. Systematically. That might mean every week, every other week, every month, whenever you get paid. Give faithfully, give consistently, give proportionately, and give cheerfully. Amen? And now, I'm going to just say this. I believe that if everyone in this church gave proportionately, okay, it's not equal gifts, it's equal sacrifice. If everyone here at Cry Out gave, gave, we would meet budget every, every week. We would. But I want you to give what's in your heart. Warren Wiersbe makes a great suggestion. I love this. He's, he suggests that we find a good standard of living as opposed to indulgent or extravagant and live at that level. And once we have found this level, we should give the surplus to the things of God. I love that. Got it? Paul's collection number two is Paul's course. We're talking about his journey here. Paul's course. His journey. And you notice that he promises to visit them in Corinth in the near future. And so I want you to follow me here, verses 5 through 7. And Paul says this, After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey, there it is, journey, wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord what? Permits. He just didn't want to pass by. He wanted to spend some quality time with them if the Lord permits. So he planned to go through the region of Macedonia, visiting Corinth, but things happened differently than he planned. And you see, friends, listen now, informing his plans, Paul, informing his plans, he recognized, I love this, the sovereignty of God. Are you with me? Now, although Paul had made special plans to spend time, quality time, with the Corinthians, he was quick, and I love this to add, at the very end there, what? If the Lord, what? Permits. See, Paul recognized that God has his own timetable. It's God's timetable that counts. And this is why, friends, Paul is willing to view, I love this, to view the unexpected as part of God's sovereign agenda, of God's will. If the Lord permits. Or as James puts it or says it, James 4.15, James 4.15, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, say that, 
Come on, Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. In the New Testament, some of the Christians, as they would write letters, would end their letters with the initials DV, which stands for Deo Valente, Deo Valente. And they would even end their conversations with, you know, as well with Deo Valente. They say, you know what, I'll see you tomorrow, Deo Valente. That's two Latin words. Deo comes from the Latin root dios, 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 meaning God. And volente comes from the Latin root volens, meaning willing. So deo volente means simply what? God willing. It's Brother Gil Medell who, whenever we'll say goodbye, and I'll say, see you maybe, see you on Wednesday or whatever, he'll say, he says God willing. I love that. Deo volente. But notice Paul now also promises to stay in Ephesus for the present. Verses 8 and 9, if you're still with me, say amen. But I will stay on at Ephesus until what? Say it. Pentecost. Because a great, got to get this. Okay, you got to get this. Verse 9, you got to get this. Because a great door of, for what? Effective work has opened to me and there are what? Many who oppose me. You guys get that? So Paul's plan was to stay in Ephesus for a while longer. Why? Because he sees God had given opportunity to him. God was doing a great work in Ephesus there, friends, right? And, he, and, and Paul couldn't leave just yet. Write this down, Acts 19.10, because there it says this. The whole, Acts 19.10, the whole province of Asia Minor had heard the gospel. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Paul had to stay there. God was doing a great work there. Now let's go back to the text. Because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are what? Many who what? Say it. Oppose me. Paul didn't say, oh, he didn't say, no, no, I have a lot of friends here, and everything's going really cool, and this is where I want to be. Everything's going smoothly. Nuh-uh. And there are what? Many who what? Oppose me. There was, a, there was great opportunity and great opposition. And this was... Confrontation. Paul was facing confrontation with demonic powers, opposition by merchants, merchants, and, and Jewish hierarchy. Listen now, was challenging Paul, Paul's every single move. And you see, Paul knew that opposition, you got to get this now, knew that opposition at times accompanies opportunities. And he considered opposition, I love this, opposition a proof that he was right where he was supposed to be. Paul went there, listen, Paul, Paul went where the need was, not where it was easier to be. I'm going to say it again. Paul went where the need was, not where it was easier to be. So I'm going to give you three lessons here. If you're ready, say yes. Lesson, first one is this, opposition. Just say that. Opposition. And I want you to get this, friends. Please, Christians, listen. The presence of opposition doesn't mean we have moved out of God's will. Paul was in the dead center of God's will when facing opposition. God sent him to Ephesus, right? To do a great work, but there were many who what? Opposed Paul, but he was in the center of God's will. And my concern is that there are a lot of Christians at the slightest opposition, they want to bail out. Maybe at their job, you know, they're facing opposition. Well, God wants me out. Not necessarily. Or in ministry, I'm facing opposition with the brother or sister in Christ. I want to bail out. Not necessarily. 
Perhaps that's God's will for you so he can grow you and stretch you and use you in that situation. Can someone please say amen? In fact, I would say, you know, that lack of opposition should cause us to ask ourselves, are we living all out for God? Right? It's that saying, you know, if you're, if you're not going head on with Satan every day, then that means you're going in the same direction he is. Right? So there are times when you are in the midst of opposition. Don't bail out. Say, God, is this where you want me to be? And if this show me and help me to stick it out. We have too many sissy lala Christians that just bail out. Second lesson is this. Include God in your plans. Include God in your plans. That's what Paul did. Some of you right now, you are planning to have children. Some of you are planning to get rid of your children. Just kidding. Some of you are planning to get married. Some of you are planning to date someone. Some of you are planning to buy a home. Some of you are planning vacations. Some of you are planning to change jobs, careers. Some of you are planning to, to start a business. Some of you are planning to move. Some of you are planning to, to retire. By the way, retirement is not biblical. That's all I'm going to say. So let me ask you this question. Are you including God in your plans? Huh? How many times have we made plans and we see things in, in and through our own eyes, yet we have not included God? Huh? Let me ask you this. Do you have a plan for your spiritual life? A plan to serve Him, a plan to seek Him daily, a plan to get closer to Him, reading and studying His Word consistently and faithfully to, listen, do you have, are you planning, do you plan to instruct and teach your children in God's ways? Do you have a plan for your spiritual life? Huh? So I don't know what your plans are, but are you including God? In, 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 and I'm going to tell you, okay, this is the third lesson is this, be flexible. Be flexible because when you plan, you need to be flexible. Why? Because God has editing rights to your life. God can say no or go. But it's got to be God, not you. Amen? That's what I love about Paul. He was very in tune with God. See, our plan should be flexible. The one thing we see in Paul's words was that he left room for God to change his plans. God has editing rights to your life. As I said many times, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not break, right? So make your plans, include God, but remember God has the last word. God has a final say, friends, in your plans. If you're safe, say amen. Listen to what I'm going to say here. Some of the best opportunities in our Christian walk come as interruptions. God interrupted Paul's plans took him to Ephesus, and did a great work. Got it? Number three, Paul's co-workers. And by the way, this is such a perfect message for Anniversary Sunday. Paul's co-workers. Verses 10 through 11. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. Verse 11. 
No one then should refuse to accept him. I love that about Paul's heart to make sure that Timothy was taken care of and they were going to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. So Timothy's care for the Corinthians is seen back in chapter 4, verse 17. You might remember this, chapter 4, verse 17, where it says, For this reason I have sent you Timothy, Paul says, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you, say remind, of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. So what Paul did, Paul sent Timothy to Corinth to reinforce his teachings to them. And Timothy's job will be that of a reminder. Say reminder. A reminder. He will be an example of how the Corinthians ought to live. So when they look at Timothy, when they see Timothy, okay, and the way that he lives, they'll be reminded of Paul and the way that Paul lived. Verse 12. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urge him to go to you with, brother, with the brothers. Now, now listen to what it says. He was quite unwilling to go now. But he will go when what? He has opportunity. I'm going to read this again because I want you to get and hear Paul's heart. Now about our brother Apollos. I strongly urged him to go. I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. Paul says this is his response here. This is a Paul's response. He was quite unwilling to, to go. He's quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when what? He has the opportunity. What I love about Paul is that he didn't dictate his will to Apollos. He was sensitive to the Spirit's leading in the, life, the lives of other Christians. Apollos didn't believe it was God's will for him to go to Corinth at that present time. And Paul respected that. Respected that. He was sensitive to the Spirit's leading of others. Now, Paul could have pulled rank and said, hey, I'm the Apostle Paul. You're going to go. I believe it's God's will for you to go. But Paul respected and was sensitive to the Spirit leading in Apollos' life. Amen? 13, <clears throat> be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Now, this could be a message in and of itself. Be on your guard. Underline that. Highlight that. Circle it. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Women of courage. Be strong. You might notice, maybe you don't, but these are military terms. Military terms to encourage Christians to be unwavering in the faith, to be alert to demonic deception, to be firmly planted, listen now, on the truth, the Word of God, and to be mature, to be men, women of courage. Act like men, the King James, I believe, says that act like men means what? To be mature, encouraged, and, and to have strong, to stand strong in the faith for Christ. To be willing to pay the price and not be undone by times of persecution, of pressure, and disappointment. Notice that these imperatives, these are imperatives in the present tense suggesting ongoing practices. So you are constantly on your guard. You're standing firm in the faith. You are being people of courage and you're being strong. It's not a one-time thing. You are daily doing this. 
Verse 14, then Paul says what? Do everything in what? Say it. Come on, do everything in what? Say it. Love, love. Paul wanted the Corinthians to follow his instructions concerning love from chapter 13. Remember that? We covered that, right? Chapter 13. And he stresses love, which is the controlling force in the Christian life. Because without love, friends, we Christians are what? Nothing. Nothing. Who cares how many scriptures you know? How many you can recite or quote? Who cares how many times you go to church or how much? How many hours you put into serving Christ without love? You're nothing. I'm nothing. He wants them to focus on doing what they do, but remember, do it with what? Love. Verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. So I want to stop there. Stephanus and his household were the first to follow Jesus in Corinth. And he says this, and they have, I love this, they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Did you get that? They have devoted themselves to the servant of the saints. The old King James says it like this, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Did you get that? They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Hey, if you're going to be addicted to anything, right, be addicted to serving others. Then he says, I urge you, brothers, I urge you to submit to such as these. Okay, in other words, Stephanus and his family were dedicated to serving others. And Paul's saying those are the people, they are the people you ought to submit to and pay attention to and follow their example. To everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Here's the lesson. Are you ready for the lesson? Here it is. Here it is. Serve others. Serve others. Friends, that's the Christian life. It's serving others. It's giving your life away, right? It's stepping outside of your agenda and serving others. Can you imagine how amazing it would be if every single one of us here at Cry Out was addicted to serving others? Huh? Can you? <laughs> be incredible. Yeah? So are you serving others? Are you serving? Are you giving your life away? Hmm? Or is it just about you? And let me tell you, the Christian life is not about you. It's about serving others. Amen? Verses 17 and 18, I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied, love this, they have supplied what's lacking from you. For they, I love this, verse 18, for they refresh my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve what? Now, we don't know much about these three guys, okay, except that they supplied what was lacking from the Corinthians and that they spiritually refreshed, love that, refreshed Paul and the Corinthians. Now, let's go back to the text, okay? For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Question, do you spiritually refresh your brothers and sisters in Christ or do you drain them to death? Huh? There are some brothers in my life that just refresh my spirit. And I sit and meet and talk with them. I had a brother this morning, he just said, I want to pray for you, Pastor. Walked in my office and just prayed for me. Refresh my spirit. Do you spiritually refresh your brothers and sisters in Christ? Then he says, such men deserve 
recognition. There is a place, listen now, church, there is a place for genuine recognition of the saints and their labors for Christ. Are you with me? So question, do you acknowledge those who serve with you? Do you? Do you acknowledge those who serve with you? Can, listen, I'm going to ask you to do this. Come up, come up with three ways to acknowledge and bless those who help you in your ministry. Can you do that this week? I'm going to say it again. Come up with three ways to acknowledge and bless those who help you in your ministry. Verse 19, the churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla. It's awesome how their names rhyme, huh? Aquila and Priscilla. This is uh, right. Greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their what? House. So the first people Paul met in Corinth were who? Aquila and Priscilla. And they were tent makers like Paul. And we learned this in the book of Acts. They are now living in Ephesus with Paul. They also had a church in their home, in both in Rome and also in Ephesus. And by the way, friends, just to let you know, in church history, we don't hear of any church buildings or gatherings until the third century. Okay, they were meeting in homes until then. Verse 20. You're still with me? Say amen. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a what? Not sloppy. Come on. Holy kiss, right? Right? Basically, a holy kiss is simply a warm, visible sign of Christian love for a brother or sister in Christ. It's a kiss on the cheek or on the forehead. Now, in our culture, it might be a handshake or a hug. Now, there are times when I will hug you and I will kiss you on the forehead or on the head. That's just my way of being affectionate with you and loving you. Okay? So, greet one another with a holy kiss, a hug, or a handshake. Or nowadays, fist bump. Right? So, Paul's collection, Paul's course, Paul's co-workers. Point number four is Paul's conclusion. Paul's conclusion. Verse 21, I, Paul, write this greeting in my what? Come on, church. My what? Own hand. So we know that the majority of Paul's letters were dictated to a scribe, right? We know that. And sometimes Paul would write a small portion in his own handwriting to show that it was really Paul who wrote the letter. Because apparently, friends, there were fake letters circulating around Corinth and other places. Posing as Paul. Well, here Paul wanted the personal touch for the people he loved. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. This is referring to a person who merely professes Christ and does not actually possess Christ. That is, he or she is not saved no matter what he or she professes with their lips. And apparently, friends, there, there were church members who were masquerading as believers in the Corinthian church. We can call these apostates. Okay, John 14, 15 says this. Jesus said, if you love me, do you love him? Come on, church, do you love him? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. Friends, if you love Jesus, if you say you're born again, then you'll keep God's word. You'll live like you keep God's word. Amen? And believe everything the Word says. 
What does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 13, 5? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says this, examine yourselves to see whether, do you get that? Say examine. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Ah. Examine yourself. There are a lot, a lot of professors. Profess this, profess that, but do not possess Christ. Let's read on. He says, come, O Lord. Say, come, O Lord. In Aramaic, it's Maranatha. Say that. Mara means Lord. In Aramaic, Atha. Atha means come. Maranatha, come, Lord. Lino, Lino always sends out a devotion. So does Tony. Sends out a devotion uh, to brothers, to myself. And Lino, at the very end of his devotion, he says, have a blessed day. He says, Maranatha. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Someone say, come, Lord. Come, O Lord. Come, O Lord. Now listen, Paul longed for the coming of Jesus. Amen? Which would make all present suffering pale into insignificance. Now I want you to write this down. Romans 8.18. Romans 8.18. Paul writes this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Someone say amen. Now I want to say this. If Paul's focus was upon the return of Jesus Christ, shouldn't that be our focus as well? Should it? In fact, if we, will, if we will remind ourselves that Jesus could come at any time, and he can at any time, friends, we will pay more attention to how we are living in the present and to the things that matter for eternity. Lesson, here's the lesson. Are you guys ready? Here's the lesson. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back to right all wrongs, to heal every wound, and to wipe every tear. He's coming back. I know this world is messed up, but he's coming back. Until then, we have a job here on earth. Amen? Let's bring Jesus, right? Right? Into people's hearts. Jesus is coming back, but until then, we got to a job to do. Verses 23 and 24, almost done here. And what here, Paul, what he does, he closes the letter with a beautiful prayer of benediction. He says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Verse 24, my love to all of you in Christ Jesus. What? Amen. He closes it with the same spirit. Listen now. The same spirit in which he opened it. In chapter 1, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians. He greeted them, grace and peace to you. And God, our Father, and the Lord, what? Jesus Christ. So, as we celebrate 29 years of ministry here at Cry Out, I want to close by echoing the words of Paul. Okay? You ready? Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong and do everything in it's all stands.